Hello, I am C-3PO, and I believe the storyteller is ready. So, let us begin. We have Din and Baby Yoda in the cockpit of the Razor Crest. Uh, Baby Yoda is kind of playing around and uh, not really, you know, behaving himself. Being precious. Yes, exactly. Uh, <laughs> stealing our hearts. And uh, he also unscrews a couple parts uh, on the ship and unscrews one of the levers and pl- starts playing with a ball. Uh, Mando kind of takes it from him, puts it back in his crib. Uh, he's essentially just messing shit up. Uh, he gets a call from Grief. Uh, Grief essentially tells him what to do and bring the, uh, the asset to the client. Uh, he doesn't know what he wants to do with it. They land on Navarro, uh, and uh, Mando takes uh, Baby Yoda to the Empire, Im- Imperial uh, client, uh, along with Dr. Pershing. They check to make sure he's all good, uh, and then they do an exchange for a shit ton of the best guy. And it pays really handsomely. Already we can sense that Mando is having some reservations about this because he doesn't trust Um, the client. He doesn't like the atmosphere that he's bringing baby Yoda into, but that was the deal. And so he leaves the child uh, and goes back to the bar where he meets with Grief Karga, gets a few more, doesn't meet Grief Karga there. He just gets a few more bounties. No, he just, first he gets his new armor. Well, yes, that's right. He goes to the, the, the little Mandalorian blacksmith shop. And while having his huge bounty uh, smelted into uh, new armor, he gets a lot of grief from the other Mandalorians who are like, listen, you are doing business with people who are basically the reason our, uh, our, our, our people are forced into hiding and we don't really appreciate that. And he leaves and he gets on the ship and then his conscience hits him. Yes. So after taking a few more bounties from grief Karga, uh, he's pretty hell bent on getting the fuck out of there. And then he notices the ball that was unscrewed by baby Yoda as he puts his hand on it. Uh, and then changes his mind completely and knows he's going to go back because he wasn't told what was going to happen to the kid and didn't trust any of them. So he goes and he's all man on a mission and starts blowing holes in doors and he rips off the gatekeeper droid. He kills a bunch of stormtroopers. He spares Dr. Pershing's life. He mm. steals back Baby Yoda when it looks like some weird experiments are being done on him. Uh, Baby Yoda's asleep through all this. Uh, and because he's stolen back from the Empire, the Empire puts activates all the fobs again. So as he's trying to escape town, all the bounty hunters corner him with Grief Karga. They have an exchange. Mando takes out a bunch of them. He's hiding, and he's able to... He's pretty much cornered, and then a bunch of the Mandalorians come in to distract. He's able to run away, gets aboard his ship. He is headed off one more time by Grief Karga himself, and uh, he actually has to shoot him in the chest and that would have killed him except for that grief cargo had a little bit of that Baskar steel in his breast pocket and uh do you remember the movie bringing down the house with queen latifah yep where she gets shot in the cell phone oh my god it's exactly the same oh my god you're totally right the same gimmick occurs and he uh kind of wakes up and of course his uh his precious child has in fact gotten away and so mandalorian's really kind of a renegade now he's really a lone ranger without a friend although the mandalorians have have, in spite of their frustrations with him, their misgivings, yes. uh, they have, of course, rescued one of their own. Yeah. But that has put them at risk as well. Uh, because they've shown their numbers now. And I guess that's like they, mm-hmm. that's kind of part of their mandate is we got to keep a really low profile. I actually find it kind of weird that they're able to have this underground race here in this community. And there's this Mandalorian exclusive blacksmith shop. And yet, like, Werner Herzog doesn't seem to know that there are any Mandalorians out there, much less a whole network of them. They're like, they're completely underground. It's not just like metaphorically underground. They're like in the sewer system. 
Yeah, I guess so. And they would have a couple people probably at the door that you're not getting through unless you're wearing your Mandalorian armor. So I don't think people are going to be able to find their way in to be able to. um, And we also see later on through those similar tunnels that the only other way out is through like the lava fields. So that's right. It's really not like there's there is one entrance that you can't get in. And so the other one, I guess they have pretty well guarded. I love his new armor. Obviously, he looks amazing. He looks awesome. But part of what we love so much about the original image of that armor, which Mm -hmm. is Boba Fett himself, is that he really looks like he's been around the bend. You know what I mean? Like he's like one of the cool things about the outlaw that is Boba Fett and his look is how roughed up he looks. And now Armando doesn't look roughed up at all. Now, of course, he does take some shots between now and the end of the season one. And I'm sure there's more to come in future seasons of the show. But he's so purified when he comes out of this upgrade. Yeah. That it's kind of missing something for me when it comes to the cowboy character that we know he is. And also, there's no color in his new suit. It's all stainless steel. That is one thing that's interesting. I'll be curious to know if maybe they take a different approach with the next season. And maybe he gets a paint job next season. That could be cool. And maybe that's the evolution of it because he's got he now has a signet at the end of season one uh which is the mud horn for him and baby yoda yeah maybe he gets a green paint job and then he'll look just like boba fett <laughs> boba fett we believe is still alive in this timeline but he's no longer in possession of his own mandalorian armor correct and so if we meet up with boba fett in season two or three of the mandalorian um he won't be wearing that armor but where is that armor it's it's gone at this it's point it's on tatooine actually it okay. was found by a guy named Cobb vanth Right, and uh, he decided he wanted to kind of clean up the streets and played a little bit of a Robin Hood role in Tatooine uh, post the fall of the Empire, and uh, used that armor so he, you know, didn't get his ass kicked. Okay, and uh, yeah, that was part of the aftermath book series. Oh, okay, aftermath. I, I kind of recognize. They were that. some of the first books to come out uh, when. After the acquisition. Yes, after the acquisition and around The Force Awakens. We've made this reference a lot of times, and so I don't want to lean on it too much uh, because I think it's going to be an ongoing narrative style for the show. Uh, never more does this show feel like a video game than in this episode in particular. Everything is based on what the next thing I have to do is and how I'm going to do it and the obstacles I'm going to meet along the way. Oh, absolutely. Especially and, that final act. And the number of people that he takes out. The odds are ridiculous. Sure. Uh, yeah, no, so many different ways. He uses a couple new different weapons. Uh, there's so many. You're, you're absolutely spot on. That's a good way of putting it. But you're, you're right and also in the sense that the entire season is kind of like that too, which is, I mean, no downside. It would make a great game. It really would. Well, I mean, it's one guy. Yeah. It's one guy who has a conscience, but also he's a badass and 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 you're in this kind of wasteland. It feels like a video game and, and that's fine. Also, the upgrading of the armor, which is something you've yeah. observed before. Uh, I think this is, maybe with the exception of the final episode of the season, Taika's episode, I think this is my favorite episode of the season just because... For a couple of reasons. The action's phenomenal. It's just so gratifying to watch. The drama's really good. Mm. We can see clearly that Baby is going to be a mainstay in this show. And it's it's nice to see some, like, some real heart in our Mandalorian for the first time in this episode. And it's also, as great as episode two is, or chapter two, uh, it's a really nice relief that we got a lot of talking again. And there's yeah. some great dialogue in this episode. It's a well-written teleplay. Oh, no. It's a phenomenal episode. I agree. And this... Taika's episode, the last episode, is probably my favorite of the season, but it's not even close. Uh, the two that follow are Deborah Chow's two, which is this episode and the second last episode. And so I'd say this is probably my second favorite episode of the season. It's fantastic. It was 
what really, I mean, pretty much after everybody saw this, everybody was on board with the notion of Deborah Chow doing more. And this was kind of, this one set the tone for a lot of people for this season because it really got a lot of people to buy into the rest of it. It was an exciting episode. It kind of gives you everything you could want from from Star Wars under the circumstances. It gives you tons of heart and cuteness, but at the same time, just badass action. But it's very realistic, too. As much as he takes out a bunch of them, it's not like... It's not totally absurd, the circumstances in which he does it. Uh, and then the family, like him, like the Mandalorians coming to the rescue. It's it's a really, it's, you're right. It's just top to bottom a great episode. Do you have anything you want to say about Dr. Pershing as a character? Because in this, he's only in a couple episodes of the show overall. But in this one, he kind of seems to have a, a conscience. He's, he's a little bit morally guided. And we're, we have no reason not to believe that he indeed did save baby Yoda's life. And that's, of course, why he gets spared by the Mandalorian. Is he going to come back as a more uh, virtuous character, or is he kind of a write-off at this point? He's a he's a good enough actor, but I guess they, that doesn't really matter with this show in terms of you can have good actors who are barely in something. Uh, but definitely his... Um, or He will come up again contextually. Maybe not him specifically, but he's a cloner of sorts. He has affiliation with cloning, and that plot line will 100% be picked up on again. Right. Uh, whether it's Moff Gideon, who is trying to gain some form of clone or force-based power, uh, or maybe Moff Gideon is part of the Final Order um, from Palpatine, and that that's his main job, is he is to collect someone who can, you know, provide midi-chlorians for Palpatine to clone himself, because maybe... That maybe that's an element for for cloning. You need to have uh, X number of midi chlorians to be able to transfer over. So if Palpatine had oh, yeah. the same number as Yoda. Then in order to transfer it over, in order to make one cloned Palpatine, maybe you need the equivalent of that many midi chlorians. Who knows? Do I mean, we know anything about about uh, Palpatine's midi chlorian count? Because we are no. led to believe that Yoda has the most, other than Anakin. Oh, Anakin has. Oh, that's right. Anakin has the highest. Yeah, well, and it would. It's also, in my opinion, Kylo and Rey should have the most. Yes. Based on everything that the sequel trilogy led us to believe on how the Force could work in the sense that generationally, only because Force users don't procreate uh, or haven't very much, but they're also like created of the Force and they're, they have the d element. And so Kylo and Rey would have the same count, you would assume. And Kylo seems, uh, it, it appears that it concentrates through generations. Yeah, just like atomically, it just seems to get like more and more uh, pungent. Yeah, so like Kylo and Rey would have the most and then like Luke and Leia and then Anakin and potentially Palpatine has the same as Yoda or Anakin or maybe he has the same as Kylo and Rey combined. Maybe, who knows? Also, the only time we've really heard any discussion about, about midichlorians is in Phantom Menace, which is from a time when the Jedi are, are in quite a bureaucratic an organizational age. And of course, Palpatine wasn't living openly as a force user at that time. So who's to say what his midichlorian count is registered as if he has one at all? Well, it wouldn't be registered anywhere. No, it would be concealed, right? Of course. We would never know. He would find out though. Probably. Because he has the most, he has the most resources in the entire galaxy. So maybe he does have more than Yoda. I think it's very, very possible. Yeah. He's more uh, powerful than Yoda, frankly. Well, he's more powerful than Yoda, but that's because he uses the dark side. And so they're, like, I'm not exactly sure how that would work because your ability to connect with the Force and your ability to corrupt it is 
not necessarily one and the same, but maybe that does come from the fact that maybe Anakin had the ability to corrupt it in such a way as Darth Vader, uh, and thus Palpatine would have been able to do the same. So yeah, there's a chance that he has like the most, or there's potential that just he has the most of any dark side user up to that point. Isn't it fair also to say that, and I don't know, but a midichlorian count is also not unlike an IQ and that it does mean a lot, but it's not necessarily the only way to determine how strong somebody is with the force. Like an IQ, high IQ doesn't necessarily mean you're smarter than me. No, 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 no. It's, it's more complex than that. Exactly. Yeah. It's also about the type of intelligence that there is as well. Right. Uh, but also specifically with this, it's the force has uh, like, let's call the forces uh, what the force wants to accomplish destiny. Mm-hmm. The force is trying to fulfill destiny. That's the way the universe should work. And so if you have a high midichlorian count, you should have the highest ability to understand and help the force facilitate destiny. Yes, okay. So if you have the dark side, you understand how to facilitate destiny, but are able to skew and corrupt destiny to your own choosing, Mm -hmm. i.e. manipulating the force in that way. Okay. Uh, So potentially... He doesn't need to have the highest connection. He ne- doesn't necessarily need to understand it to the f- and have the ability to to control destiny necessarily as much as a light side user uh, and to help fulfill that because he's not trying to fulfill it. He's corrupting it to his own ambitions. So right. I'm not really. I, we have no idea how that works, but. I would love to learn more about that kind of shit. That would be so cool to learn more about. Is that on its way or is Disney going to be reluctant to get into the midichlorian discussion because it's been so uh, controversial in the past? Correct. Midichlorians, I think something like that could happen if we were um, maybe down the road, if we were gifted a, a mini, a short series that was based specifically on um the more kind of biological biological but even higher concept elements of star wars right and so you can experiment a little bit with that but i don't think we're going to get any of that kind of experimentation anytime soon however we could get light versions of that not necessarily to the same depth through uh the rebels sequel series because uh animation especially through clone wars and rebels have gone significantly higher concept than anything since the prequels tell me again about the rebel sequel series that's not confirmed it's not confirmed but it's very highly likely that sabine one of the main characters from the crew uh in rebels uh will link up with ahsoka Mm -hmm. who that was kind of the what's it called um when it's done after the fact um what retroactive uh, yeah but like the thing at the end of uh epilogue oh Uh, an epilogue yes there's an epilogue at the end of rebels and it shows Six years after the end of it, it's the end, uh, like the Battle of Endor just happened and everybody's won. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it shows Sabine meeting up with Ahsoka and it's essentially implied that now that the war's over, they're going to go to the Unknown Regions to look for Ezra who shot him and Thrawn off onto like a broken Star Destroyer into the middle of buttfuck nowhere in the outer regions. Right. So there it's essentially going to be a shipwreck story with a Star Destroyer, uh, uh, Thrawn and Ezra. And Sabine and Ahsoka trying to find them in unknown space. I wonder if that series could be a, a possible avenue to explore Kira a little further. Hmm. I I would like more so um, 
to do like maybe in the Cassian series, yeah, yeah. you oh, could yeah. you could have her be a bit of a side foil. Obviously, the Empire is the main focus, but you could bring it in kind of in that regard. But she's achieved like really high ranks. She's like a really powerful. We really don't know the 10 year because two years, two, three years before A New Hope, Darth Maul is stranded and pretty powerless yes. and more high on revenge than he's been in, in a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't know what's happened to Kira. We know 10 years before she's rolling with Maul. Mm-hmm. So there's about an eight year time, seven or eight year time period after Solo, but before we see Maul again, where it's believed that Maul's running Crimson Dawn with Kira as its right hand, likely at some point either Crimson Dawn's wiped out or Kira takes Maul's place and abandons him, something along those lines. Who knows? Uh, but that's like there's a good chunk of time there that we really don't know. But the only thing that has is scheduled at all to be in that time period is the Cassian show, right? So it would kind of make some sense. Okay, let's wrap up this episode. Why do you think it's called The Sin? Uh, well, it's in, in reference to he knows what he's doing is wrong. but it, Wrong per the Mandalorian creed? Or it's wrong to it's, give away the baby? It's just wrong. Just morally wrong. Um, I think The Sin is more referring to the way the Mandalorians view the, what he's done. Yes. Uh, I think in, in the sense that like they have to, because he's broken bread with the empire and has done the morally right thing, which is the right thing to do, but the Mandalorians then thus have to, to rescue him and that puts them out of hiding and it ends up killing them all. Well, he either has to break his oath or break his word. Yeah. And, and so either way, I guess he's kind of committing a sin. But at the end, we find out in episode eight that the armorer is the only one who on, who stays on that planet and doesn't die. So they all like most of the people who go to rescue him end up dying. So he goes to save this one kid at the expense of dozens of his other mandos. Yeah. That's and right. So that's that's a pretty big sin. So no matter how he was gonna be sinning no matter what. I saw no considerable reason to take anything back from this episode. I, I see nothing that, that I don't see as perfectly good for this show. Same uh almost the same as last episode. Uh, there was one thing, though, that I was able to write down as a take back in the sense that I wasn't going to try to actively not have any take backs. Uh, <laughs> Grief Karga says Mando too much in this episode. Mando. Mando. He, Mando. He does. Mando. He does. He's a very corny character. Mando. Oh, he's so corny, but that works. I like it. It's very Star Wars corniness. I yeah. really quite like it. Uh, but he says Mando way too much. Mando. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And so does the stupid uh, Jake Cannavale guy. He says Mando too much. Oh, he's coming up too. We're gonna have to do an episode about him. Oh uh, yeah, that's episode five. Ugh, not a fan. Uh, I do have some. There's phenomenal moments though. There's Baby Yoda jumping out of his crib and then falling down, playing and sucking on the the little metal ball. Um, the face acting that Mando does when he's deciding, like he sees the ball, and but like the fact that there's no face, but it's just zoomed in on this helmet. Nothing yep. happened, and you can just see all the emotions. It's phenomenal. He conveys a lot with his physicality without having a face. And that gives me so much excitement for Obi-Wan and Deborah Chow. Because that's, I mean, good on you, because that's potentially Pedro Pascal. There's a decent chance it's John Wayne's grandkid. Uh, I don't know if we've ever chatted about that. No. John Wayne's grandson is the main stand-in. 
Oh. Uh, yeah, I think it's his grandson. Yeah, uh, but he's the main stand-in for Mandalorian. That and gives it some real cowboy credibility. In episode four, the next episode, 0% of the episode is Pedro Pascal wow. in the suit. Deb- uh, Dal- Bryce Dallas Howard didn't work with uh, him on set. I wonder why. He just, he wasn't available. He just, uh, just so phoned he did, in his he, he, vo- he voice boothed his, or yeah, phoned them in. Yeah. <laughs> no. But yeah, all of the physicality in the next episode is, uh, uh, I forget his, his first name, but uh, yeah. That's that, cool. So that's the body type. And some people noticed that, like, in the like those scenes walking through Navarro, and people were like, "That is not the the gait of Pedro Pascal." And so that was rumored, and then it came out that no, that guy who's in the credits for every single episode near the top, but is not credited as anything. Yeah, it's that's understudy, <laughs> yeah, basically. Exactly. Yeah, oh, that's really cool. Yeah, it's a cool kind of fun fact there. How about quotes? Anything that uh, you really think kind of sums up the episode? I mean, there's this "This is the way" chant that the Mandalorians seem to all say. It's no, I have spoken. No, but it's good. It's fine. Uh, yeah, this is the way that they chant. Uh, I got to get one of those for the jetpack. Oh yeah, yeah, I like that. A little foreshadow. And a little rocketeer salute at the end. Your yeah, speaking of niche Disney yeah. uh, superheroes, uh, your reputation was not unwarranted. Nope. That's a great one. I, I love it. I've got three three uh, underlined as potential headline, like uh, episode titles. And okay. it's, uh, your reputation was not unwarranted. Oh, four of them, actually. Uh, I got to get one of those. It's not a toy. Yeah, that's good. And um, it did not know it was my enemy. Oh, that's kind of good, too. That's my favorite line of the episode. I, my favorite line, it's too long for a title, but my favorite line of the episode is such a large bounty for such a small package. Ah, uh, yeah, that is a very good one, I too. That's, and this is long. Um, how uncharacteristic of one of your reputation. You've taken both commission and uh, payment. Is it not the count of the guild that these events are now forgotten? This Beskar is more than enough for your armor. Unfortunately, finding a Mandalorian at these trying times is more difficult than finding the steel. Mm. This is where Werner Herzog is basically... Like, I don't know what you're going to do with this payment because I'm assuming you're alone, but mm-hmm. here, take it. Yeah, just, but piss off. Yeah. Uh, there's, um, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk to my ship with the kid and you're going to let it happen. Uh, I don't care. I already extract the necessary material and be done with it. Uh, I can't accept it wasn't a noble kill. I was helped by an enemy. I have no idea if he wants to eat it or hang it on his wall, but he's very antsy. That's good. How about uh, you had your shot, Dust Breather, but you failed? Oh, that's a great line. Who says that? Uh, I think I have it written down here. I I don't know. It might have been Grief Karga. I'd have to. Oh yeah, into definitely. It. That sounds like him. Good um, point. They all hate you, Mando, because you're a legend. Oh, I didn't. Oh, that's a great line. Yeah, I should have written that one down. That is a good line. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it was just the dialogue really makes up for the no dialogue in episode two. Yeah, because I think they the the first three episodes they they group so well together. Mm-hmm. They really, really do, and we do kind of a bit of a tangent for the next couple ones. The next three are very mission based episodes, but then we get back on track after that. When one chooses the walk of the. When one chooses the walk to walk the way of the Mandalore, you are both the hunter and the prey. Ooh, that's a good line, too. Yeah. That's a very good line. And definitely true, for oh, especially yeah. this series. Exactly. I had a couple other great moments, though. Um, when they're exiting the Razorcrest, Baby Yoda and Mandalorian, it's just a badass moment. Yeah. The way that they're standing next to each other, it's it's just a very epic shot. And it's what clearly all, a lot of the inspiration for the posters was taken from. And clearly they were just, oh, we want to put little baby Yoda right there, but we can't because it'll give everything away. Yeah. Oh, I know. Because <laughs> he's not on any of the 
any of the posters, but is right. the main bloody character. Oh, they're going to use him so much for marketing season two. Oh my God, as they should. Well, exactly. And by the way, we might as well say October season two. Yeah. That's like, that Absolutely. never happens with these streaming shows. You always end up, and I figured it would come in 2020, but I figured it'd be like December. No, I mean, I was expecting around the same time, like, that it came out this time, November, but, but 11, October, 11 months between better. seasons is really special. Oh, that's, yeah, that's excellent. fantastic. And it'll get the full thing out before Christmas again. They probably wanted to have that little bit better of a buffer than what they had last time. Yeah. It was a little too just crammed around Christmas. That's right. Uh, I loved the heavy infantry Mando, Paz Vizsla, uh, one voiced by Jon Favreau. Right. His helmet was the coolest Mandalorian helmet to date. It was just a little bit blockier, a little bit sharper edged. I loved it. It he was is, so cool. He is a unit. Yeah, he, he is, is a beast. beast. Yep. <laughs> yeah, he's a big guy. That was my night question, by the way. What is the name of the large Mandalorian who's aggressive towards Armando? Pav the Infantry or Pav Spizzle? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, that's one of my questions. And he's well. John Favreau. Yes, he's John. He's voiced by John Favreau yeah. as well. All right. Uh, just the last couple things about the episode before we do some trivia and then we can get into the news. Okay, I only have one more trivia question for you. I oh, okay. found it hard to come up with trivia. I, I had a few. Uh, I loved the Imperial Crates inside the compound where the client was. They mean the world to me. Mysteries of the Sith and every other video game ever of that era. They were just wonderful to see. Made the Star Wars feel so appropriate. They're these black cubes that are kind of split into four quadrants and they have a circle in the middle. Anybody who's played a Star Wars video game will recognize this imagery. Absolutely, but they're just the Imperial crates. Yeah. And you can never do anything with them in any video game. Who knows what's in them? Like, I don't know what they're used for. Yeah, anything for that matter. Yeah. Also, another piece of clever, uh, you know, prop and set design, uh, the safe. The safe is badass. Yeah. I love the safe with all the Beskar in it. Oh, yes. Uh, specifically, that was not the first time it's been used. Mm-hmm. So, in Empire Strikes Back, there's a guy who's escaping and he's got the, the safe in his arms and it's an ice cream maker. Yeah. Is what the prop was. I read about that. And it's also, there was an action figure of the guy and he came with the ice, like, because Kenner did every character that's why they all have names and such right and so there is one of him and his prop that he comes with the action figure is the ice cream maker but it never ever no one ever said what it was and so this is the first time it's been said it's a safe so there's a bit of a discrepancy between what i read online and what i counted when i watched the episode my master question for you is um how many bars of beskar steel are visible in the bounty pile when they are uh extracted from that ice cream maker machine. I counted a different number than what uh, Wikipedia told me. Okay, what was the number that you counted and what was the number that they told you? Well, you guess. 20. Yeah, see, I counted 22. I counted 20. All right, I counted 22. Well, we could also say how much was the payment for it. Is that a different? Uh, is that a different question? I think it would probably be an impossible number because think about it. Think of how many people were given a fob. Were they all given down payments? No. Or was it just Mando given the one piece of Beskar as down payment? Well, it's probably believed that he's more likely to pull to this off. To want the Beskar. And, well, yeah, but, Gre- oh, that's but true. Grief also gets Beskar too, though. But is Beskar not uh, intrinsically valuable to everybody, whether you're Mandalorian or not? Yes, but it's significantly more valuable to a Mandalorian. Sure. Um, but yeah, it would be valuable to anyone. That's why Grief is like on cloud friggin' nine because he has two pieces. Yeah. And Mando gets 21. And he doesn't use all of it to make his armor. He uses what he needs, and then he gifts the rest to the foundlings. To the foundlings, and they also make him whistling birds. 
Oh, I love the whistling birds. They're super cool. I actually yeah. probably just blew one of my questions. Let me get to my questions so I don't see that. Yeah, it's like oh, a that heat, was that was one of my it's questions. It's like a heat sinking weapon where he's surrounded by uh, by stormtroopers, and they this has been foreshadowed, and so the payoff mm. is extra delicious. It's excellent. He's kind of crowded around in this little warehouse room, and they just shoot it of his hand, and they just find the stormtroopers and pick them off one by one. It's glorious. It really is. Yeah. Uh, where does grief offer to take Mando to enjoy himself with his reward? The um, the Twi'lek bathing house. Very close. Healing baths. The Twi'lek healing baths. Is that a brothel? Is that what he means? Essentially. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. Uh, night question. How many stormtroopers does Mandalorian take out while rescuing baby Yoda? Ooh, that's a great one. Uh, I'm going to go with like 12. Great guess. 14. I knew it was a lot. And yeah. it's it's amazing. It, well, he takes out four at once with the, when he's surrounded. With the birds. Yeah, with yeah. the birds. But yeah, it's so well done. But it's also not like... It's great because it's him going around corners. He takes out like two at a time usually. Uh, but yeah, those are some pretty badass moments. Oh, yeah. And uh, let's see. What historical city was used as inspiration for Navarro City? I couldn't tell you. Pompeii. Why Pompeii? And sp- specifically like war-torn Pompeii? Uh, yes, but also in part um, because of the kind of magma and lava design and Pompeii was uh, immortalized in lava. <laughs> well, of course, and this is a particularly ashen city. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, there's the, the lava river that runs through it and we see more of that later on. But... Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so that's the sin. Yep. No, it was a great episode. Really, really great. What uh, what do we have in Star Wars news? This is actually kind of fun because uh, you and I both just got one final chance to see Rise of Skywalker before it leaves theaters, which I assume it's going to happen anytime. Yes, probably pretty soon. And so we got to check it out again on Friday. How are you feeling about it now? Pretty similar. Yeah? Uh, I was disappointed in the sense of, I said last time, I expected I'd like it more each time I watched it. Mm-hmm. I do, by the way. Well, that's great. That is really great. Yeah. I, f- I, found, I found it much more hollow this time than I did the first time. I was really excited the first time I watched it, even though I didn't feel like it paid off Mm. the way it should have at the end, in the sense that they could have wrapped up all nine movies a lot more. It kind of felt like, okay, you're bringing in elements from the... like all nine movies. Yeah. But you're not connecting all nine movies with those elements. You're connecting those movies with brand new elements that don't actually provide consistency. Like the references to previous movies were largely very shallow. Yes, exactly. And it was just kind of surface level stuff that didn't really make a lot of sense. Like the the barge chase uh, on Pasana. Yeah, but also like bringing back Palpatine, bringing back Palpatine just because that's not the point. If you're like and saying um, to many abilities, some consider to be unnatural, not good enough. Yeah. You need to make it more clear as to what through line you're pulling on. And that's just one singular line that I guarantee like, we saw with dad. Yeah. No way in the world does dad know what that line was referring to. Probably not. Anyone who does is not happy with that as your explanation. I see. That is a piss poor explanation. I see. As the only thing we're given. And otherwise... I, like it's just so out of the blue that he's back. If you watch this as a trilogy, it just completely makes no sense. Even still, the crawl is atrocious. I hate the dead speak. It's the it's just such a terrible way to bring back Palpatine. The dead speak is not 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it, it refers to all Sith, though, right? The dead speak. Yeah, but it's specifically they say right after Palpatine is like podcasting to the rest of the galaxy, <laughs> and like that's like that bothers me because I mean, yes, you go right into Palpatine right away, but that moment should be bigger. The fact that he's in Ben Solo's head is a good point, but you only barely touch on it later on as well. Yeah, and you only kind of show that he's talking to himself by just barely alluding to it so there's it's not it's not overall that clear in this trilogy that ben solo is hearing voices in his head yeah and all of a sudden in this movie it's like you've heard all these voices in your head and some of them sound like vader and some of them sound like like your mother or whatever but they've all been me right from the beginning and i guess we knew he was like having interfaces with some version of darth vader throughout his his dark side turn but it's not so literal as in this movie but why not have it as palpatine is we know he's doing that. Why not have the manipulation viewed from Vader's mask? Have him have a conversation in that capacity. And, like, have him be able to, like, like even the internal thoughts just with Vader's mask. We already have that as an item that he had the conversation with. Right. Give us more on that. Right. And then it would have added extra power to the voices in his head. If the voices in his head have been projected by Palpatine as someone different, Anakin to him, mm-hmm. then the Leia sacrificing herself... By projecting herself as Han in his thoughts mm-hmm. is the like, his, the way that Ben Solo is saved and Kylo Ren is killed is the same way Kylo Ren was created in the sense of a thought put in the head of someone else by a more powerful being in well, the sense of his, his his dad's love's able to say of him as opposed to the trickery of Palpatine. Well, I'm okay with that. And I actually have a thought on that. But uh, you and I were talking last night about what you still would have liked to see a little bit more. I'm okay with that. That Ray was technically part of Palpatine's bloodline. I think they, they did their best with that when they decided that's what they wanted to do. Um, it just isn't necessary. You literally can take that line out of the movie. The movie's the same. Well... Yeah, I guess that's true. Um, Other than the reason Palpatine wanted to bring her. Suppose they did go forth with what you were really hoping it would be, which is that Rey is a reincarnation of Anakin Skywalker. That she's that Bo- she, born of the Force the same way as Anakin. Born of the Force. So this would be an uh, this would be a really great use for Matt Smith in this movie as born of the Force reincarnated Palpatine. So we've got the same original two most powerful people ever in the galaxy, but now they're younger and they're going to face off in the greatest duel of the fates you've ever seen. But what's interesting about this trilogy is what they decided by making her Palpatine and naming the movie Rise of Skywalker and having the last line be, who am I? I'm Rey Skywalker. Uh, was that the the thesis of Star Wars is going to be, you can choose to be whoever you want. You don't need to be haunted by who you came from. Mm. And the only problem with that is that Ben Solo's arc is the opposite moral. Like, he he tried to get away from who he was, which is good, and his father. Mm-hmm. And he couldn't because he was good and he was his father. Mm-hmm. And so they kind of try and have it both ways. Yep, absolutely. And that's why it's problematic. Yeah. Uh, and having her be from nowhere. Like, even if you keep it as her from nowhere, I can still head canonize. If her parents are nobodies then logically it makes sense. Shmi Skywalker was nobody. Yeah. You can make that make sense. It works. And ultimately, if her, she doesn't have a last name, adopting Skywalker because she finds out she comes from the same way, that makes a lot more That's sense. That's fine too. Um, one thing I want to do though is I'm going to take, uh, I'll take like maybe uh, like prepping for next week. I'm going to take a look at everything we were actually given. Okay. Taking none of my own conjecture or wants and wishes, but taking what we were given with the two scripts of Trevorrow and The Rise of Skywalker Mm -hmm. and seeing if there's a much better movie. Okay. 
own like no con- no adding in any of my own versions, but what we were given, see if there's a better movie that we can get out of what the what context what content's been written. And I think there's a much better movie. Sure, there, there usually is. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, but, I look forward to that. Yeah. What else do we have to talk about in the news? Well, let's talk about uh, kind of on that just because we haven't uh, been there. We haven't. We're already kind of talking about it, and we haven't talked in a while on air. Uh, but some more images of Trevorrow's script came out, mm-hmm. uh, and it's very cool. Some of the images shown. Uh, Poe and Finn are kind of in black stormtrooper armor, not with helmets, but that's like they've clearly kind of Clone Warsed up a little bit in their look. Uh, there's a picture of Kylo Ren sucking the life force out of a tree. Which oh, looks always cool. So badass. The nature metaphor always works for me. Yeah, and I also I really really love the the life force sucking that he does in the Trevorrow script. I think that's a very cool power that he's deeply uh, eager to learn. Yeah, uh, it's awesome to see a real life Mortis. Yes, that is just, like with all of the seasons shown in one singular like shot showing your winter, your spring, your summer, your fall. It's fantastic inside the the temple and the the monastery on Mortis. Uh, it's it's just cool to see these kind of shots. Uh, the helmet that looks similar to Vader's mask. Remember that one? Uh, sort of. Yes. Yeah. So it's 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 kind of a Kylo gets a new helmet made. It's a little. It requires some breathing help. Uh, he's helped by these little. Uh, they're called like wombles or something. And these little like alien species on his big quest, and he's like almost dead. And like these little aliens bring him into their like cave and they nurture him back to life and so it's kind of weird but it's very some of the imagery is very inventive and it's very cool to see but a couple of the other ones at the end uh you do get to see a shot of of ray approaching um the new jedi temple with where finn would be helping some kids and teaching them some things and ray's coming back from um bringing the falcon up from underneath the ice so oh, that's yeah. one thing that uh jj took but made it all star destroyers yeah the falcon gets trapped underwater later on like at some point in the movie and then yeah. she breaks it free through ice and That'd be cool flies back to, and there's also one very cool final shot that you can look up and it's of bb8's eye the glass like and you can see approaching from the distance with like kind of like the sun or in the back is you see ray walking towards them that's cool yeah so it's a beautiful like kind of like shot and similar to what they do at the end of the rise of skywalker mm-hmm. with those kind of the twin suns there although it does bother me that bb8 is with ray not poe right okay because that doesn't really work yeah all right other news there's not a ton really going on uh there was uh the star wars underworld footage that kind of did the rounds uh did you see anything of that no so star wars underworld was going to be an abc tv show that george lucas was making uh in the i think it was around 2010 it was when the star wars 1313 video game was going to be made they were going to be released around the same time uh and the goal was to really give a a better understanding of the underworld uh, of coruscant and kind of the rebellion in that era and so this was before disney purchased lucasfilm and so all that stuff was canned Mm -hmm. uh but george lucas uh had paid for some kind of some test footage to be made and there's like five minutes of a pilot and it's kind of some raw footage that went around and so it's been on vimeo for like seven years oh wow but people posed it as if it was like a leak and so went around all over the internet and then somebody tracked it down. i was like guys this has been on the internet forever it was a new thing that was reposted on a different spot yeah and just of course everybody but it's it's interesting i think it's elizabeth olsen 
that's the star. Oh wow! Yeah, it's it's she's like gathering information. Like, she's, she's so welcome in Star Wars for oh, me. Oh, absolutely! She's yeah. surrounded by stormtroopers, but she's stealing information. It looks like shit. Mm. Like it, I know it's just it's some raw footage, but it looks terrible. Just cheesy and uh, cheap. Just cheap, and the money that would have gone into it. The reason why it wasn't made was because it was so insanely expensive. Like the episodes <laughs> would have been. But it just it looks bad. I'm not, I, I'm I'm happy it wasn't made in the sense that I think yeah. it could have it could have cheapened uh, the potential for live action television. Well, because we anytime we make something out of Star Wars that doesn't necessarily stick the landing, we have to live with it forever, and yes. we're, we're constantly having to like rationalize a Star Wars thing that wasn't perfect. And so it's the the, the less of that we have, the better. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And so it was right in that time uh, frame uh, that uh, Clone Wars was, I guess, finishing up as well, too. Yeah. Um, Baby Yoda, mm. you can get uh, a one-to-one uh, prop statue uh, that's material, realistic, and such. $350. They're going to go like crazy. That yeah. is a license to print money for Disney. It's a life-size Baby Yoda. Yeah. Exactly. So the same way that you can buy like a Darth Vader helmet that's accurate, you can get uh, as a it's hey they cost five million dollars the one that Favreau made. Yeah. So but, this is a deal. But this one's not animated. It doesn't matter. It'll still break your heart. It doesn't. Cuteness. It doesn't coo. I don't think it will actually. I don't think it's it's. I love Baby Yoda, but I would rather have a Darth Vader helmet because it's a helmet. You yeah. Know? Whereas this isn't Baby Yoda. I have to say I've seen it. Yeah. It's it looks exactly like Baby Yoda. Okay. It, it, it looks life like well it should for three hundred dollars yeah it's probably it probably should uh project luminous yep. uh february 24th there's gonna be more information about that it's potentially believed now that project luminous which is likely to introduce the high republic that new era might not be the new era for films oh there's potential that uh the high republic could be established through other canon comics um books and uh maybe video games and then additional like so that will show kind of a partial backtracking in time so the galaxy will be established somewhat more uh in like an older republic and then potentially the next set of movies could still be old republic or the next live action television show so that you don't require a full reimagining mm. you can halfway reimagine by going back 400 years and then complete the full reimagining by going back another 3500 years or 2000 years before that right and so that could be quite interesting to be able to kind of see but it's interesting that project luminous is is a very important thing from the perspective of disney but it does seem to be around other canon mediums yeah so i'll be curious to know if there is any um television or movie potential that associates with that we'll learn more on the 24th uh the 21st is when clone wars comes back so that's super exciting it is weekly so that's one thing that's also cool. So it's not, yeah, I'm it's into not that. gonna be just thrown on. So that's great. I absolutely agree. I think because Netflix, uh, I think the season six of that was just put on Netflix. Um, but otherwise, I think well, the Cartoon Network would have just done it that same way. So it makes sense to keep it going sequentially. And everything else is on the plus now, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It makes sense. Uh, we also find out through the Kylo Ren comic that came out that uh, he kills the other students of Luke's uh, that go looking for him. Grizzly. So certain like students of luke go looking for kylo ren after um it's believed that he kills luke yeah and when they kind of confront each other like these are kids that kylo's grown up with since he was like 9 10 11 12 he slaughters eight of them uh, man that's that, that's and, tough and, and then he goes to the knights of ren it's funny how 
how willing we are to forgive Kylo Ren, or rather Ben Solo, and Anakin Skywalker, for that matter, but for the horrific crimes they commit. It's true, but it's interesting, because you can also view it in a, in a different way. Mm. You can view it as Ben Solo, from the moment he was incepted inside his mother, most likely, he has been having voices inside his head from Satan, right. and Satan posing as his grandfather and ghosts. He's also told his entire life that you have... The capability of the most powerful being of all time. Uh, that's also mirrored with Anakin Skywalker. Uh, but in the case of Ben Solo, he's also being told his entire life that, like, yeah, Luke will betray you. Luke mm. will turn on you. And then he's conflicted. He's conflicted. And then he sees Luke about to kill him or what he believes is about to kill him. Who knows what Palpatine showed him? I mean, Ben describes it in The Last Jedi a certain way. It doesn't mean that maybe that's not exactly what he saw. He's also literally Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah. Yeah, well, so is Anakin Skywalker. Though. Exactly, yes. Yeah, but Anakin Skywalker, the point when we watch Revenge of the Sith, you can also make the argument of what are you going to do? Pick your coworkers or save your wife? Mm-hmm. Um, save your wife over picking your coworkers and thinking that they're right because at, from his perspective, before he got all ugly, Palpatine hadn't done anything evil. Right, but, well, yeah, I mean, he had kind of been... He was the Sith Lord, yes. but this was when Anakin he was colluded. Real. Yeah, but this is when Anakin's starting to realize that or believe that the Jedi are, are not following through on their own mandate. Which he's correct about. Well, then he sees Mace Windu about to kill him. Exactly. And so the biggest difference uh, between uh, Kylo Ren and Darth Vader or Anakin Skywalker or Ben Solo um, is that we actually see that transition occur with Anakin Skywalker yeah. to Darth Vader, and we haven't had the opportunity to see it on screen with Ben Solo, for better or worse, you know, whether or not you're happy with how we saw it. Do you have a clear idea of when he becomes Darth Vader? Do you, Is it when the eyes turn yellow? Is it when they're Darth in the Vader opera Darth Vader or Kylo Ren? Oh, Darth no, Vader. You're I'm talking about, about Anakin Skywalker, yeah. It's tough because... There's moments in which the struggle always continues. Like he, he Anakin Skywalker cla- like claws his way ahead of Vader to the conscience of the the crude body. Uh, at one point when he's fighting Ahsoka, okay, uh, and it Anakin wins in the very end when the Emperor is killing Luke. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But I think as soon as Anakin is watching mace windu and palpatine like the the back and forth you see like this just fear in his eyes um and it's the anger and then cutting mace windu's hands off Mm -hmm. that's the first bit of vader that you get Uh, but vader is born after slaughtering the younglings uh and vader is born on mustafar so as soon as uh obi-wan walks away and there's an extra engulfing of flame. He screams, I hate you. Yes. that yeah. That's the moment in which Vader does not, like Anakin Skywalker doesn't peek his head out for like a decade or right. more after that point. Vader wins for the long haul from but that But he still has moments of good between that, between episodes three and four? Uh, ve- like he has like one and a half seconds of good against Ahsoka. Interesting. Where Ahsoka cuts half of his helmet off. And they make eye contact, and his eye flickers blue back to yellow. How is the deformity of Anakin Skywalker handled in Rebels? Uh, you don't really get to see it. Not really? it's like, you just get to see half of his face. And Vader's face isn't that messed up. Okay. Like, his face is bur- is the least burnt part of his body. Sure. Um, like, the hair 
obviously. Yeah. Like, so the back of his head's probably messed up. Yeah, like, the back crazy. of his head is definitely messed up. Yeah. Well, we see the top of his head's really messed up. Yes. But like, you only get to see like the profile, like the half of his nose and like his like his eye socket and cheekbone frame. Right. So it just looks like Anakin. And you see here the modulation, what's cool, mm. is because he says Ahsoka, and it's half James Earl Jones doing the voice and half Matt Lanter. Oh, I love it. And so you can hear, because the, it's broken over the modulator, and it's, it, it's, it is a top 20 moment of Star Wars. That's like, amazing. Of all things. It's truly incredible. That and, uh, and of course, then there's the Maul and the Obi-Wan one. So yeah, Rebels definitely uh, gave you some big feels moments. Uh, but no, these comics seem pretty interesting, and Ben Solo, uh, it's definitely showing the the messed up kind of origins that he had the the from Ben to Ren, but I like that we get the additional part after, because it's almost as if, if, if the original trilogy occurred five years after the prequels, as opposed to 20 years after, it would be like we started the trilogy episode three or like at the end of episode three episode four five six it, yeah. it, it gives you it gives you much earlier in the the creation of this villain but you get to start out with them as a villain in that kind of way so it's 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 kind of interesting in in that way but it does kind of mirror the the prequel turn but at a later point in the anakin ben comparison anything else you want to say star wars news wise um I don't think so. There's really not a whole lot of, of news that's really out there. I think by the end of the month, we'll uh, we'll have a couple of really interesting kind of things. There's oh, there is going to be a, a book with uh, Poe uh, running kind of running Spice on Kajimi with with Zori. They that's true. They really made that a big part of Episode Nine. They're like I they really want you to be interested in the fact that Poe hasn't always been by the book. To be honest, I loved that. Yeah. I I really really loved that part. I liked Poe. It's, it's he's so much better done by jj yeah uh although i have to say after watching the rise of skywalker another time uh i don't blame john boyega he got done so dirty after the force awakens yep. he is not interesting in the rise of skywalker either no i know and that's i, I realize that yeah like, poe is way more interesting than i the rise will of skywalker. i will say i think every time i watch uh rise of skywalker i think it's and it's partly just because i know it to be true but i i don't think it's really a question of whether or not finn has force sensitivity I no you're it's, right it's very clear in this movie you're right and you do have to watch it a couple of times to see that obviously that's what he wanted to tell ray mm. but it's not really an unanswered question about the movie no but it's dumb that it was created as like it was pointed to in dialogue and also it doesn't make sense that that's the last thing finn would ever say to ray yeah it's so well, they, yeah like they put too much emphasis on it that he wants to tell her that he and then doesn't so you can make it a little bit less obvious uh, in that way and make it a little bit more obvious in action if any, you're not going to put a finger There wasn't it. enough room in the movie to include more of that. It Had it been two movies, then there could have been a whole other Finn Ray plot where he's like, listen, this is going on. And she's like, I'm not going to train you. I'm not ready. And then suddenly she decides she's going to. Yeah. No, that, I absolutely agree. And it, in, in Trevorrow's script, Finn is force sensitive. But at the end, in the epilogue, it shows that he is being, he's the next one to be trained by Ray. Yeah. Uh, Broom Boy is at the end of uh, Trevorrow's script sure, as well. So sure. he, she's got like like 10 kids or something that are running around. And uh, But I do have to say, after watching this Rise of Skywalker again, Janna sucks. Stupid waste of time. Waste of time. Uh, like, fine, that's great. But it's such a dick move to Kelly Maduri Tran because yeah. the character, there's no reason it can't be 
Rose. It can't be Rose. That's There's very good. There's no reason it can't be Rose. I mean, if we're going to use her in the f- episode eight, we might as well have used her again. That yeah, is and so if, true. Like, they, you, you were able to make, like, you were able to force chemistry between Janet and Finn. You could have, you easily could have been able to develop the chemistry better with Finn and Rose to make it more palatable in The Last Jedi. You also can't tell me that the reason she had to stay back at, with the with the rest of the resistance is because of Carrie Fisher because Kelly Marie had not been hired when those scenes with Carrie Fisher were shot. She did not work for Star Wars when all the Carrie Fisher stuff for this movie was. No, but I mean, in terms of you, you they needed to keep someone back to interact with her. Yeah. I understood that notion of it, but in that same vein, if you're introducing these new characters, make that Connix and Beaumont. Yeah, we've already introduced new character. You don't need Janna, and it's like. I get Finn finding kind of his people in that way, but it, it's it's kind of lame the way it's done. I would have preferred him to find, like, I, I would have preferred him to do exactly what happens in the Ferraro script. It leads an uprising on, on Coruscant. It's also not really that well established through the whole trilogy that Finn feels like he doesn't have a home. Like, Finn finds his home when he finds yep. Poe and Rey, and that's good enough for Finn. Absolutely. Yeah. And they also, one cool thing in the Ferraro script is that uh, he's known Finn is known in the first order. He's a legend. He's he's yeah, and like this, like he's able to convince some stormtroopers because they they see who he is and like they see like holy shit, this guy's like we're we're nothing. Yeah, and he's he's leading millions of people right yeah. now to go up against well, the, the machine that we're we are what? Well, and there's, and then there's it, two schools of thought. Like you could think that a lot of stormtroopers out there have a moral conscience and he's just the first one ever to be brave enough to act on his. And so then these other quiet stormtroopers are like, gee, I, I secretly respect Finn or FN2187. Or you could say he's the first stormtrooper ever to be force sensitive. And so he, of course, was going to be sucked out of the first order. There you go. Yeah. I like that way more because I also like, did Jana and her people defect before or after Finn? We don't know. For some reason, the entire company just laid down their weapons. They also do a semi, <laughs> like, like they almost imply that like she has the force too, like in some weird way. If well, it's still not clear exactly how uh, prominent the force is. Yeah, it might be fucking everywhere. Well, it is. Yeah, and, and that's and that's the thing. But I also like when it comes to force sensitivity, I I, I think there should be a threshold. Yes, like, don't say everybody's force sensitive in that regard. Yeah, that's kind of a cop out. Yeah, like oh, everybody normally has like. Like 1,500 midi-chlorians, but, you know, some people, if you have over 3,300, then you're considered Force-sensitive. Mm. But if you have over 5,800, then you're the level of a jet. Then it's, like, just the stupidest shit in the world. Yes. <laughs> so, hopefully, we never get anything like that. A couple of prominent birthdays in Star Wars right now. Saturday, February 8th. Happy birthday to Nick Nolte. I oh, have, nice. I have spoken. Probably uh, the last time we're going to see him, though. Monday the 10th, which uh, is the day after we're recording this. It's also it's also the day after the Academy Awards. Oh yeah! Happy birthday to Laura Dern. Oh yeah! Who is very and I, I don't want to sound silly in case she doesn't win, but it's, she's one of the most obvious, clear winners in any category this year at the Academy Awards. So I feel pretty confident saying congratulations on your new gold, Laura, and happy birthday. And happy birthday on Thursday the thirteenth to Pernilla August, who plays Shmi Skywalker. Nice. Now uh, for. Gotta cast one. I'm actually starting to think I have to do a, either an audit of this segment or stop doing it altogether. Because every time I come up with somebody, I'm like, have we done this person before? That's we, fair. we might have done both of these people before. But both of them had 
two of the best years of anyone in Hollywood. Because okay, you've said that particular line about your reason as to why you've picked them two or three times. So. Yeah, well, it is what it is. I'm hoping it isn't the people. So one of them currently starring in a movie that, against all odds, frankly... Is it Adam Driver? No, uh, he's in Star Wars. <laughs> Critically and commercially, Birds of Prey just crushing it right now. Oh, yeah. She's also nominated for her supporting role uh, against Laura Dern, in fact, mm-hmm. uh, for her performance in Bombshell. And she is an excellent supporting character in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Margot Robbie, or gentleman who's in a movie, uh, Valentine's Day movie of the year. It's called The Photograph. He also was a major part in Uncut Gems. Um, and he was a major part in Knives Out. You got to cast one. Is it going to be Margot Robbie or Lakeith Stanfield? Oh, okay. That's not really fair. I would love to pick both of them. I figured you would. They're both really great. Uh, and I don't think you've asked me either. Oh, okay, good. So, yeah, they're both excellent. Um, For very different reasons, obviously. Yeah, I'm not sure what Lakeith Stanfield would be. It's, it's interesting because he's a great actor and he could be, he could kind of be anything. I wouldn't think to put him as like a crazy sith or something evil in that regard i always think it's too easy to make him uh insidious i think i think i like him as a hero yeah because he's also said that the only character he would play in a comic book movie was the joker yes and so i thought that was an interesting statement to, to make um, it's an interesting lens into who he is creatively yeah and i think yeah. that that's kind of interesting so you could have him be someone who's Who's maybe a very troubled, pulled in multiple directions. Actually, there was a bit of news that I should have brought up, and I'm going to mention it now, and I'll use this as a reference point, because a character like this, I think, would be, would be maybe a good fit. Uh, and I forget his name. It's something like, uh, like Akshore or something. Uh, I can't remember what it is. But anyway, so there was a Legends story about a Jedi who... Um, was on Tatooine, and he's hiding on Tatooine as well as Obi-Wan. And he finds out that Obi-Wan's there protecting Luke. And then he finds out the reason. And then he wants to kill Luke because he does not want Darth Vader coming and, like, hunting him down and finding him. Oh, okay. Uh, and that this is terrible for the existence of the Force. And so He has a point. It's a weird place to hide Luke. It is. And so he wants to kill <laughs> Luke and Obi-Wan, this yep. uh, Sith who's often hiding. Um, and that was gonna, he was going to be the main bad guy in the Obi-Wan TV show. Okay. And I hate that because that's not high enough stakes. No, it's not. That's not high enough stakes for the circumstances. Uh, unless you have Vader as that looming presence, in which case maybe that could work. But I, that's a little too on Tatooine, not high enough stakes. Uh, but anyway, having somebody like that who's kind of like man on a mission, not someone who is inherently evil but has gone kind of crazy. Okay. That could be kind of cool. Sure. Uh, for Lakeith Stanfield. Margot Robbie, uh, that oh, I, he could be a male Harley Quinn because that's kind of what I just described without realizing it. That's right. Uh, <laughs> and, and also male Harley Quinn is the Joker. Uh, yes, no, no. She's a doctor who goes slowly crazy and by like because of a, a, a Mo- specific passion in her life. Motivations are different, but yeah. I mean, obviously, there's a there's a commonality, oh, there's a commonality between <laughs> the course. two. Yeah, um, but Margot Robbie, she could be damn near anything. Sure. Uh, so it's kind of hard. But her also, I think she's a hero, though. It's, it's very hard to imagine her as like really villainous. Well, that's true because we've already seen the kind of villainous character that she plays, and but she also has a very inherent likability. But she's I, an innocence too. Yeah, but her she does have the bit of an issue of she 
She does look like she lives in a world that maybe knows about texting. I know she was in like a like a period piece with like Saoirse Ronan a little while back. Or um, uh, yeah, I wish that was Mary Queen of Scots is the movie you were thinking of. Yeah, I think yeah. so. That was her, right? Yep. Um, so like, I know it can be done, but there's something about it that I think it would be a little too. It's Margot Robbie. Yeah, she's just too much of a movie star. Yeah, you're saying. Yeah, and yeah. So under those circumstances, I'd pick Lakeith Stanfield, but. I would never say no to having Margot Robbie in a Star Wars movie. I just think you have to find just... out what, what her thing is. I don't think it's necessarily wrong. I also would pick Lakeith Stanfield. You could actually, you could you could make Margot Robbie a Padme type character. That's in terms what I'm of thinking. having her as a young, very ambitious, but very, like, like playing the AOC of the galaxy far, far away. <laughs> okay. All right. What's going on on Naboo right now? Who's to say that we don't have, like, some new hotshot queen oh, on Naboo? Oh, on Naboo? Yeah. Uh, at this time period in Obi-Wan? Not or, necessarily. Whenever you did. this is just well, hypothetically. Specifically, you need that is a very important thing with Naboo. You yeah. Need, because that's Palpatine's home world. Yeah. So nothing good is ever getting done there, and no AOC type person's living if they're on Naboo during his reign. You're you're killed. Sure, but I'm um, just tired. This experiment is just for any time in no, Star I know, Wars. No, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, no. I mean, Naboo is. I, I would love to return to Naboo. Me too. And so, if you want to go back. Um, decades and or sorry, hundreds of years and centuries and millennia, then absolutely bring it back that way. Um, or maybe show the division that occurs between them and the Gungans. Although I don't think we really need to see the Gungans in a prominent position, no. unless uh, it's a little Jar Jar fan service. We don't need any more Gungans. But to be honest, if you're going to do it, that, you know what I would love it, Chandrilla, which because is what? Chandrilla is uh, a core world. Uh, it's been in canon a very long time. We've never visually seen Chandrilla before. And it's Mom Mothma's homeworld. Oh, and okay. she's the biggest pacifist in all of Star Wars. So if you want to make a, a young pacifist kind of senator, let's make him from Chandrilla and we can finally see it. I like it a whole lot. So there we go. We casted both of them. All right. Well, send along your thoughts on this week's podcast or any others you might have. Tweet at Recorder66. Email Recorder66podcast at gmail.com. Rate and review on your preferred podcast app. That is the completion of... Uh, bonus episodes not included episode 66 of recorder 66 yeah so that's a kind of a big milestone i think i thought it was a good episode to be focused on it everything else is gravy that was uh the sin if you want to be caught up to us by next week watch the fourth chapter of the first season of the mandalorian and until we're together again may the force be with you you